Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, first question. I was actually on the beach in Cancun this weekend. I didn't get to see any of these games. What did I miss? Uh, yeah, you missed some stuff. Everything was, was fine, stuff. right? Nothing, no, no big deal? Like we started last weekend's recap with Lauren Brownlow, we said, yeah, everything's fine, right? Uh, not, not really. Um, everything's fine in my wallet though, Joey, because my actual bets, we're not talking about my podcast picks. We're talking like <laughs> legitimate bets that I've made. I'm 14 and two against the spread the last two weeks. That is oh, not, man. that's okay. That's not normal. So man. jump on the train next week. We'll all lose money together because I am way, way overdue to lose money. My way rolling, rolling right now. Unbelievable heater. All right, all right. Well, let's let's talk about these games here from yesterday, Mike. The so I, I'd probably uh, over exaggerated here just a little bit. I, I had kind of got myself caught up on all the games and what happened with them. So I, I do look forward to talking to him here. I didn't get, really get to watch any of them live, but I have since educated myself on what happened in, in the ACC in Week Five. And Mike, there's no better place to start than our beloved number three, Clemson Tigers, twenty-seven, Syracuse, twenty-three. In a game that was going to be a blowout, was going to be a runaway get-back game for Clemson, and the whole thing just went sideways for him in the second quarter when Trevor Lawrence goes out. Ironically, the one game that I bet on yesterday that I lost, and I was so emphatic that Clemson was going to blow the doors off Syracuse in this football game, I could not have been more wrong. Um, so let's start with this. And Clemson's I'll be damned on. if you didn't talk me off the ledge of Syracuse plus 24, too. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll take the L for both of us on that one, and we'll move on, right? <laughs> um, so let's start with this. Syracuse's defensive line for a good portion of this game, I don't want to say dominated the point of attack, but they were certainly more aggressive. Uh, Clemson's offensive line was having some serious issues blocking a Syracuse front, which... You know, color me surprised. I didn't think that would be a problem, but it was. Uh, keeping Trevor Lawrence comfortable in the pocket was a pretty substantial issue for Clemson in the first half. Um, they didn't get to Trevor Lawrence all that much, but he was not comfortable back there. Uh, he was running around quite a bit. A lot of plays were off schedule. And as a result, Clemson was having a lot of trouble uh, putting the ball in the end zone and really sustaining drives in the first half of this football game. So, first of all, credit to Syracuse defense. Uh, I thought they were about as good as you can hope for going on the road in Death Valley against a top-five team. I mean, I thought the defense, for the most part, did a pretty solid job for Syracuse, and I probably have to give them a little bit more credit than I have been through the first month of the year. Uh, you know, talking about how bad of a unit they are, I, you know, 
you get more data points like this one and you know you have to wonder and i think syracuse has definitely made some strides so i was wrong there so let's start with that uh obviously a trevor lawrence injury wasn't great stumbling along the sideline scrambling uh, he stepped out but it's one of those things the db doesn't know and the refs don't know they're not blowing the whistle and trevor lawrence takes a pretty good shot there and Clemson's worst nightmare is realized. Kelly Bryant transfers out of the program just a few short days ago. Trevor Lawrence gets hurt in the second quarter of game one as the starter. And you're now looking at Chase Bryce, who redshirt freshman, uh, top 50 in the ESPN 300. He's got some pedigree, but hasn't taken a whole lot of snaps as a quarterback for Clemson. He's gotten some garbage time play uh, here over the first few games of the year, but he has not played much. All of a sudden, he's your QB one, and you're trailing fourteen to six on the road. Excuse me, fourteen to six at home against a unranked Syracuse team. So, uh, flashback to 2017, perhaps at the Carrier Dome when you lost Kelly Bryant. Uh, not a great situation to be in, and Clemson is on very thin ice in that quarterback room. Uh, with that being said, Clemson's defense really locked things down in the second half. I thought they did a pretty nice job. I thought Clemson was totally most honestly, Chase Bryce throws a pick in the third quarter, and you're staring at this game wondering, wow, Clemson might lose to Syracuse for the second year in a row, but um, they quickly got together. I thought Chase Bryce settled in quite nicely. Travis Etienne, massive, massive game, over 200 yards rushing, three touchdowns, obviously was a catalyst for this offense and the reason why they won this football game. This, this was a statement game for Etienne. I mean, he was awesome. Uh Throughout that first half, second half, he was the only guy consistently getting uh, Clemson's offense moving. Uh, but overall, the defense made plays when it had to. Obviously, down the stretch, Chase Bryce made a couple of big time throws, and Travis Etienne was a dude, Joey. He was really, really, really good in this football game. That ended up being the difference. Uh, just enough plays being made by the superior football team to win. Uh, first time Clemson's really faced this type of adversity. Uh, you know, had that tough game against Texas A&M a couple weeks back, but they were down and out. And with a backup quarterback who was really their third string quarterback in the game, first meaningful game action, you're playing a Syracuse team that's playing angry at home. It's a nooner. Just a lot of stuff was working uh, against Clemson in this football game, and they persevered and found a way uh, to get the W. They have a lot of work to do, no doubt about that, but uh, you figure out how to get this win and you move on. And if you're Clemson, that's all you can ask for, given the circumstances. This was a straight up survival by Clemson. This this was not a, a comfortable win by any stretch. Yeah, you mentioned Chase Bryce. He hadn't taken a meaningful snap in a football game since his high school state title game in 2016, I believe. Um, and he comes off, off the bench and makes some some big time throws. They convert a fourth down with about two and a half minutes left. Uh, on a really tight window throw to T Higgins, gets him 20 yards. Uh, Clemson survives here, and, and it's, it really was an amazing effort from Etienne to get it uh, get it going where he did. Um, Chase Bryce again comes in and has a has a strong performance, but Mike, it's just it's bizarre that a week ago I'm sitting here watching Georgia Tech play against both Kelly Bryant and Trevor Lawrence, and Bryce came into the game actually at one point and promptly threw an interception, I believe, but. You know, just a week later, now your your playoff leading, you know, the, the the team, the the quarterback that took your team to a playoff is gone. Your freshman phenom, who's going to be replacing him, is 
concussed and how quickly that, that changed, you know, right. It just that situation to, to change as quickly as it did is crazy. And it's, I'm very curious to see what Clemson's going to do here. Again, Trevor Lawrence dealing with some concussion stuff. You never know how quickly that'll resolve itself or won't. Um, it's it just kind of up to the individual. You hope this doesn't become a, a you know, a, a more uh, common issue for him. You know, there's some folks that tend to get a lot of them and hopefully he's not one of them. Uh, he's, he's an amazing talent to watch, but Clemson, they've got a game next week on the road at Wake Forest and then they get a week off. So uh, careful. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Wake will beat you too. I, I mean, if, yeah. if, if Clemson's not ready for that, Wake will beat them. So it's, I'm just I'm curious to see where we're going to go with this. I mean, is, is Trevor Lawrence going to be able to play next week? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Um, and, and if not, then what? You know, there's some chatter around maybe Kelly Bryant comes back. And, I mean, I guess he probably hasn't left Clemson, South Carolina yet. Um, but who knows? This is going to be something really we got to watch, Mike, because this is going to – this is the kind of thing that will change the course of the, the season for the ACC if – if Clemson is not uh, on pace to make the playoff like they have been, um, we're probably talking about a total mess of a year for a conference where there's some teams that have looked worse than we were expecting them to. Yeah, we're not at sound the alarms mode yet. We're not quite there. But if Clemson is favored in the majority of their remaining games, which it, you know we expect them to be, if not in all these games, and they drop one, and they go to an ACC championship game against a maybe two loss coastal team, which definitely not out of the question, Joey. Mm-hmm. And you win an ACC championship game against some lower leverage type competition compared to the other conferences. We might be talking about the ACC being shut out of a playoff potentially. So keep an eye on that. Um, obviously, early in the year, a ton can happen, but definitely something to keep an eye on because look Clemson like you said and like we talked about this is the team that everybody coordinated at the beginning of the year and hey so far undefeated they've gotten the job done you do what you're supposed to do you pile up those W's but they're leaving a lot to be desired on both sides of the ball they have all the talent in the world but there are some plays here and there throughout the game where you're wondering man I don't know if this will fly against better teams so just something to keep an eye on here as we move uh, move towards the halfway point in the year already. Absolutely. And, and just to reiterate what you said, too, this is a really impressive showing from Syracuse. They had a really good game here in this in this spot on the road um, against a, a playoff contending team. I've been really impressed with what I've seen from them this year. Uh, five games in, they're four and one, and they, they look like a, a very good football team um, that should continue to get better. So keep an eye on that. Let's move on, Mike. Florida State 28, Louisville 24. And, man, let's just start here. This offseason, when we were previewing Louisville, we asked Ethan Moore, where does this fan base stand with Bobby Petrino? Um, you know, and the, the, the conclusion was basically we're not, you know, super high on him, but he's also not on the hot seat. You know, they're not ready. They're not pulling out the torches and pitchforks. I'm starting to wonder if maybe they are going to start pulling out the pitchforks after this one because this was a totally just coaching-induced loss, Mike. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, we'll get into the clock management issues that Louisville had towards the end of regulation. Uh, obviously, Louisville just needs to run the clock out. They choose not to do that. Juwan pass throws a terrible interception. Florida State goes down, scores, wins the game. Um, yeah, by the way, we have a few awards to hand out at the end of the game. And just remember that little snippet that I was referring to. Mm-hmm. Um, atrocious clock management by Bobby Petrino. Of course, he gets asked about after the game. And he says, yeah, probably should have ran it there. <laughs> like, you uh, think? Yeah, you think? Uh, how much are you getting paid again? Um, yeah, that was ugly. Uh, a couple takeaways on the Florida State side. First of all, gritty win by Florida State. They needed one of these. I know Louisville's not a great football team, but Florida State gets the job done. Obviously, they still leave some to be desired on offense, uh, particularly in the running game, Joey. 31 carries, 76 yards, only two and a half yards per carry. Um, those obviously aren't the sack adjusted numbers, but it still wasn't good. Uh, you know, Florida State, all the talent in the world in the backfield, and it's still a poor offensive line. I mean, they can't run the football, and that's very problematic. Uh, Joey, you referred to this last week in the recap uh, when you mentioned, hey, it's almost like you put the ball in the hands of your best offensive player and good things happen. Uh, DeAndre Francois, 16 of 27, 294, four touchdowns, 74.7 QBR. Yeah, still real good. Still, still a good player. Um, they should keep doing that. That should mm-hmm. bode well for them in regards to trying to make a bowl game, which it's amazing how far they've fallen when we're just talking about them in that context. But uh, Nyquan Murray, huge game, obviously, you know, made the huge play at the end to uh, when it up being the game-winning score. Six catches, 114, two touchdowns. Tamron Terry, three catches, 70, 71 yards and a touchdown in this one. So that was solid. Uh, Jawan Pass through that awful interception, but goes for 306, completed a little bit better than half his passes, two touchdowns, two interceptions. 100% comes down to coaching in this game between two pretty poor football teams. <laughs> but, it, you know, at the end of the day, Florida State could have won this game by a lot more than they did. Uh, they kept shooting themselves in the foot this entire game, uh, just offensively, complete and total inability to run the ball against a very questionable Louisville defense is not the greatest look in the world. Um, I don't know. I don't know what to make of either of these two teams. This is this kind of went down as expected. Like two bad teams, one's a little bit less bad, and that team found a way to win. But hey, if you're Willie Taggart, though, honestly, you can you can def you can certainly build on this. Uh, come from behind, never give up, all that other crap. But <laughs> you're so inspirational, know. Mike. Yeah, I'm. It's got to come from somewhere. Uh, good win for Florida State. They're they're in the win column. They now have more wins and losses, so that's good because they have more four and five stars than most teams do. So it's good that they're finally have a winning record. Also noteworthy to me in this game is Louisville is now back together with Juwan Pass as their starting quarterback. Just shoot me. You think they play rock situation? paper scissors in the locker room before the game to see who's starting or like? I don't. Yeah. This is bizarre. Now, pass was not terrible. I mean, 24-45 for 306, two touchdowns, two picks, including the really critical late pick. I mean, it could be better, but it could be worse, I suppose. Um, I'm still just hung up on this fact that they – it's first down with less than two minutes left. Florida State has a couple timeouts. First down, Mike, they're throwing the ball. What are you doing, Louisville? I don't know what you're doing. Why are you throwing the ball? The announcers literally said that much. They just yelled out, why are we throwing the ball right now? It, it, that was 
absurd to me. I, I mind boggling. It was bad. I mean, we had we had a couple of coaches this weekend, both inside the ACC and outside the ACC, being paid a lot of money that made very questionable play calling decisions down the stretch. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure, Joey, you caught part of that Penn State Ohio State game. Trace McSorley was the best player on the field for Penn State, and they ran the ball on fourth and five with the game on the line. And obviously, Ohio State made the stop. It's just like, man, these coaches are paid all sorts of money to make these types of decisions. And they're decisions that an ordinary fan looks at. And they're like, why in the world would you run that play? And we're not being paid like that, right? So mm-hmm. that's, when you, that's when you know it's bad. And we saw it in that game, obviously, uh, which was a much more widely watched football game over the weekend. Uh, and then we saw it in this Florida State Louisville game, which is just, oh, just so, so awful. Yeah, if I'm a Louisville fan right now, which, by the way, I kind of am, I think I'm uh, I'm starting to think about what the future after Bobby Petrino looks like. I'm, I'm not getting the warm fuzzies from this program. I, ma- I maintain that I'm pretty confident at this point that Lamar Jackson was just covering up a lot of the issues with this team. Um, he has made two absolute half-assed defensive coordinator hires in a row, and it's just – this is not this is not a good program right now, and right. I, I don't I don't have a whole lot of reason to think it's going to be getting a lot better. Right. In all fairness, I think we thought that, and we we had mentioned this that we thought that Lamar Jackson was covering up a lot of inefficiencies with this with this football team. Like we thought that uh, the two poor hires at defensive coordinator really really coming back to haunt Louisville here and. Offense isn't much better. Offensive line, by the way, still atrocious. Like that has not gotten better in three years. That's the more concerning thing for me is that the defense hasn't shown any signs of improvement. The offensive line is still not any good. And now you don't have like an all world athlete at quarterback. And Jawan Pass is, I, I think, good athlete, but he is not Lamar Jackson. And that's not an indictment of him. It's just the way it is. Um, we're not going to see many athletes in the college football landscape like Lamar Jackson. He's like a one at once in quarter century player mm-hmm. uh, at the position so it's all it's amazing it's like oh we don't have that guy anymore and now look at what's happening so it's i think it's a little bit worse than you and i thought but at the same time it, it's not a huge surprise that it's manifesting itself as you know lamar jackson was really just covering up a lot of ills that louisville had on both sides of the football yeah not to mention that there's no uh, no Tom Jurich there as AD anymore with all the uh, basketball stuff that's gone on. So now you've got Vince Tyra making decisions on the future of Petrino, and he might feel a little bit differently about him than than Tom did. But hashtag and, not his guy. So. Not his guy, Mike. Not at all. Florida State twenty eight, Louisville twenty four. Let's move on. NC State thirty five, Virginia twenty one, and. So if you're a Virginia fan, I think you look at this game in one of two ways is, oh, damn, we lost or there is some good here. There are some signs. And with all of what we've seen from Virginia this year, there's progress being made. There's progress being made. This is a better team than it was last year. And there is reason for optimism. Yep, completely agree. Um, This is one of those games where you look at Virginia and you're like, hey, they played really hard. and they didn't quit and they didn't roll over against who I think is a pretty good football team. I mean, I think NC State's solid. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ryan Finley is, if you don't think he's a top five quarterback in the country, he's certainly top seven. 
Uh, he's very good. He had a couple boneheaded throws in this game and then a couple throws that, hey, there's the NFL prospect. Uh, so NC State gets the job done here. Finley has three touchdown passes. Um, they ran the ball much better than Virginia did. Uh, Ricky Person, 14 carries, 108 in this game. Uh, Reggie Gillespie, 47 yards rushing and a touchdown. As a team, they averaged about four and a half yards a carry on 39 carries. So that'll work. Uh, Virginia couldn't run the ball. And as we've seen in the past with Virginia here, when they've been faced in times of adversity here, it's been because they haven't run the ball all that well. Um, they tried to stick with Jordan Ellis. He had 13 carries for 30 yards and a touchdown. Not great. Olamide Zacchaeus, two carries for 39 yards. He was your leading rusher as a wide receiver. Uh, Bryce Perkins, hell of an effort. He had 24 yards rushing on 14 carries, but threw for 258, two touchdowns. Did have a couple picks that ended up being relatively costly. Uh, Virginia's defense, I thought, overall held up pretty well despite the rushing yards that I just mentioned um, NC State's just I think they're the better football team I think that showed throughout this game but I think if you're a Virginia fan you should come away from this game encouraged because this is one of those games maybe a few years ago if you're a Virginia fan you look at with NC State as a top 25 or fringe top 25 team where you're like man I don't think we have a prayer in this football game and that's not really how this game went I mean Virginia Virginia led this game at one point. Uh, they were battling. It was very back and forth in the first half. Um, you know, NC State obviously capitalized on a couple of mistakes that Virginia made offensively. But you get beat by a better team. You live with it. I think you're just happy that you're not getting blown out of these games anymore. You're winning the games you're supposed to win. You're keeping the 50-50 games close so that you have a shot. And then once you start facing really good teams, Hopefully you don't get blown out like you once did, but if you lose those games, it's just like, hey, okay, maybe we're just a six and six program, which for Virginia, hey, it's an improvement over the last, what, 10 years. Uh, we haven't had a lot of data points to look at as far as Virginia going to bowl games. So I think it's certainly heading in the right direction. And maybe it's not a sound the alarm situation like you and I thought it was with Bronco Mendenhall and what does this program look like in a few years? Um, I, I think he's done a really nice job this year so far. And if Virginia can, uh, keep things moving in a positive direction. They can certainly make a bowl game. Uh, but on the other side for NC State, this is a pretty good football team in the Atlantic Division. Um, there's, they'll certainly be fighting for for that crown. Considering how Clemson has looked, NC State certainly doesn't have the talent that Clemson has, but I think NC State can hang on, hang on the same field. And that'll be a very interesting game with those two teams tangled here coming up. So NC State, BC, Clemson, all battling out in the Atlantic. I think NC State's definitely manifest themselves as a pretty good football team. One of the, yeah, well, so yeah, first of all, I I think when I was introing the game, I probably wasn't giving enough credit to NC State. And I think that what I'm thinking here is that this was a bit of a measuring stick game for Virginia, given that we, we know something about NC State and they're more established and trustworthy and all these things we've talked about. Um, one of the things I'm noticing about Virginia too, Mike, is if you look at these box scores, there was like a suspiciously low number of people touching the ball on Virginia's offense. You realize that they've played five games now. There's only two receivers that they have that have at least 10 receptions, and they have a combined 55 between them. That's Olamide Zacchaeus and Hashis Dubois. They have two players named Jordan Ellis and Bryce Perkins who have at least 10 carries. They have 160 between them. 
And you have only one player who has more than five pass attempts, and that's Bryce Perkins with 137. Like, Virginia, it seems like they have found a couple of good players that they're just going to ride and and use. And I, I wonder if that's a little bit of something that some of these other teams can key in on is all they got to worry about is stopping Jordan Ellis, Jordan Ellis and Olamide Zacchaeus, and I'm good. Um, I don't know. something to monitor, something to, to pay attention to that I, I feel like I keep seeing – very, very few names being given carries and being, you know, thrown the ball, that kind of thing. So um, just something to, to kind of keep an eye on as a, a limitation of Virginia potentially. Um, but yeah, solid game from Ryan Finley. Um, he continues to be, like you said, one of the top, you know, handful of quarterbacks in the country. Um, I, I think he'll be an early pick in the NFL draft coming up. And uh, it, it showed here as NC State won this game pretty comfortably. They had this, this thing in hand for most of the second half. Yeah, uh, on the flip side of your comment about, oh, something that they can key in on as far as, you know, Virginia really only getting it to like three playmakers on their entire team. Like, that's fine. On the flip side of that, maybe we can look at it through the prism of, hey, maybe some of the better teams in Virginia could work to like get the ball in the hands of their best playmakers and just like continue doing that. Like, it's usually a good thing when good players get the ball. Sure. Virginia just Virginia just doesn't have a lot of them, to your point. So, you can look at Virginia and say, okay, we got like three good players and those are the guys we're going to give the ball to and teams can key on that. But hey, if you're like Clemson or I don't know, Florida State, for example, where you got playmakers all over the field, Miami, just keep giving the ball to good players. You know, mm -hmm. things things usually work out for you when you do that. Absolutely. And you saw that, by the way, at the end of that uh, Florida State-Louisville game. They got the ball to Nyquan Murray in space. The next thing you know, 60 yards later, he's in the end zone. And, Seems and like that a wasn't good plan. Yeah, that wasn't like a long bomb. That was like a 12, 15-yard route that then he broke a couple tackles and just took off, right? So that, that kind of thing happens when you get the ball to your good players. So yep. do, do that for sure. Yep. NC State 35, Virginia 21. Let's move on, Mike. Your Virginia Tech Hokies 31, number 22, Duke 14. The Hokies get right here. Uh, we said that they would. We took them money line, and uh, and they, they took care of us here. Um uh, Good game from Ryan Willis. He looks good as a backup, 17-27 for 332, three touchdowns, no picks. And, uh, again, this is another one that the, the score probably looks a little bit closer than this game actually was. Um, Duke scores a touchdown in the fourth quarter to make it a 10-point game, but that was the, about as close as it ever was. Um, the Hokies took care of business here and, and got right after a rough week last week. Uh, they made explosive plays on offense. Uh, Dalton Keene had a 41-yard touchdown catch for Virginia Tech. Uh, huge block on that play by Eric Kuma, who had three catches for 67 yards in this game. I, you look at the receiving numbers for Virginia Tech, it seemed like they were all big plays in the passing game. And this is something that I kind of alluded to a little bit in the preview, Joey, that you know, you're going to live with the good and the bad with Ryan Willis because he is going to take a little bit... Uh, well, he's got to take more chances than Josh Jackson. He's just less conservative as a passer. Um, he's going to sling it around quite a bit. And that gunslinger mentality definitely definitely worked out in Virginia Tech's favor in this game. Uh, so like I mentioned, Dalton Keene had a 41-yard touchdown catch. He had two catches for 82 yards that led the team. Eric Kuma, three catches, 67 yards. Damon Hazleton, four for 65 and a touchdown. Hezekiah Grimsley, two catches, 40 yards. Uh, Trey Turner only had one catch for 33. Phil Patterson, two catches, 28 yards and a touchdown. 332 yards receiving as a team for Virginia Tech in this football game. And a lot of those types of plays were explosive plays, uh, averaging almost 20 yards per catch as a team. 
is something that the Virginia Tech offense hasn't had going for them yet this year, uh, especially in the passing game. Uh, they've run the ball really well uh, in the past, and they didn't really get the ball rolling at all. And that's because the passing game, too, was rolling like it was. 41 carries, 81 yards, and a touchdown in the game, only two yards per carry. Obviously not great, but the passing game was going so well with 332 yards from Ryan Willis and three touchdown passes that you weren't leaning on the run nearly as much as you were uh, throughout the first three games of the year. So keep an eye on that because Virginia Tech's rushing attack hasn't been great really since David Wilson in 2011. It's been kind of a roller coaster. Virginia Tech's run the ball well for the first few games. Wasn't able to do so yesterday. So just keep an eye on that. Uh, Daniel Jones, his numbers were fine. He was 23 of 35, 226, a touchdown and a pick. Um, he just didn't really look himself out there. Uh, not really sure what it was. Just there were some throws that he missed where I'm like, man, does healthy Daniel Jones miss that throw? And it just, he didn't really seem all that comfortable, which I think is a testament a bit to the Virginia Tech pass rush as well that had a very nice day. Um, Virginia Tech contained, uh, contained Duke's rushing attack, which is very important because that's the springboard of their offense. Britton Brown, only 12 carries for 35 yards in this game as a team, only two yards per carry for Duke. So it was yeah. a battle of battle of two, two passers, you know, I mean, that's really what it came down to. Yeah. If you're a connoisseur of good run games, this game is not for you. Both teams come in a yard short of two yards per carry on the game. So that not, not real pretty, not really a sight for sore eyes in that in that regard. Choose your own adventure in the rushing attack, and it was not good. Um, so that was bad. Virginia Tech's defense, real quick, uh, in the secondary. The tackling still leaves a lot to be desired, and that's something that, as a Virginia Tech fan and alum, I am concerned about as they play explosive offenses like, I don't know, Notre Dame next Saturday. <laughs> I mean... That's you're going to have to wrap up. Um, Duke does not boast a ton of NFL talent at receiver. Notre Dame does. And ODU even did. And we see how those, you know, we'll see how Notre Dame turns out. We saw how ODU turned out. So there's a little bit of concern there um, as, as far as the tackling in the secondary. But we'll we'll see. I mean, there's very little to complain about. I'm nitpicking if I'm going to talk about that for another two minutes. Uh Really nice bounce back win for the Hokies. Team responded really well, I thought. It's a character victory that I think Justin Fuente and his coaching staff will be able to build off of here moving forward. That, hey, they faced adversity. They went on the road against a ranked Duke team that a lot of people thought was pretty good, and they took it to them from start to finish. Most importantly, Mike, I think the thing that we have to bring up here, this game goes under, and my pick of the week hits, and we are back, baby. We're back. Back on the we horse. We are back. Back on the horse. Give me that money line. I improved to two and three on the week uh, in picks of the week. So, uh, yeah, good on you guys. Good good defense there, Virginia Tech and Duke. Thank you very much. Um, Mike, anything else before we move on? Yeah, solid win for the Hokies, man. I'm very excited about it. Back in the top 25 with this victory. They're out. Uh, newest poll release today has been 23 going into the ND game this Saturday. So, hey. It was a long, cold week away from that. It was not good but <laughs> found a way to win here on the road and look pretty convincing doing it joey that's right that is correct all right let's move on miami 47 north carolina 10 this was on thursday night and really mike i think what we should say is miami's defense 21 miami's offense 
some difference of points in uh, UNC 10. Miami has three defensive touchdowns in this game. Um, and that lar- you know, largely thanks to the charitable efforts of one Chaz Surratt, who for some unknown reason gets put into this game multiple times. He goes four of 10 for 10 yards and three interceptions. And two of those interceptions go for touchdowns. And I mean, goodness, North Carolina is a grease fire right now, Mike. This is a mess. Yeah, they're a bad football team. Um, you and I could have gone four of 10 for 10 yards and three picks, I think. Right. Um, yeah, I could do that. <laughs> yeah, certainly could do that. And, uh, you know, Chaz Surratt certainly threw for more yards to the other team than he did for his team. Uh, bad. Bad, bad, bad. Nothing real good to say about it. Nathan Elliott, 16 of 25 for 104 yards. Woof. Um, Miami that only was ran bad. 46 offensive plays in this game. Yeah, I'll get to them real fast in a second. North Carolina's rushing attack, I mean, not bad. 40 carries, 215, and a touchdown as a team. That's five and a half yards per carry, roughly. Uh, that's not bad. The only problem is you didn't have a passing offense, and Miami keyed on that and forced three turnovers in the passing game, and that was all she wrote, Joey, because offensively, Miami was straight chilling all night long. They averaged 6.7 yards per carry, 34 carries for 229 two touchdowns. DJ Dallas highlighted the group. 11 carries, 114 and a touchdown. Travis Homer, nice game as well. 14 for 88 yards. Nikosi Perry, 8 of 12, 125 touchdown and interception. I'll mark this game as an incomplete for him because, quite honestly, he didn't have to do a whole lot, and that's fine if you're a Miami fan. You took care of business against a really, really bad North Carolina team, and he made it look easy. Never competitive. North Carolina being completely incompetent in the passing game really helps that fact. And Larry Fedora, he's in a ton of trouble. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, I didn't see him keeping his job past this year anyway. And, oh, woof. This is bad. This is a bad football team right now. Yeah. They, first of all, they made like three quarterback changes in this game. They start with Nathan Elliott, then they go to Chaz Surratt, and they go back to Elliott, and then they go back to Surratt for, again, I'm not really sure why. Nathan Elliott was very clearly the better quarterback out there, and yet they intend they are just insistent on putting Chaz Surratt out there after he hasn't played a game yet this year because he's been serving a suspension. Um, yeah, I mean, North Carolina ran the ball fine. Miami ran the ball just fine. It was just – this game got so out of hand so fast. It was 33-10 to 10 at halftime. And, and, again, North Carolina just keeps turning the ball over and, and making dumb decisions that put them down. I mean – this is a competitive game in the first quarter. It was one time it was 14 to 10, you know, North Carolina scored to make it a three point game or a four point game. Right. And just from there, it spiraled out of control entirely. And yeah, North Carolina is a mess. Um, They look bad. They were not competitive here in any way, shape or form. Um, Like I said, Miami runs 46 offensive plays and scores 47 points. Thanks in part to some defensive efforts in that, in that regard. But I mean, this was just a, this is just a blowout Thursday night game that I I stand by my uh, UNC plus eighteen pick. I would have thought that they could have covered that, but you know, if you just take away the defensive scores, they, I think they might have gotten close. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the moral victory on that one. I'll I'll give it to you because that's really one of the only victories North Carolina is going to get this year. So we'll give them the moral <laughs> victory on your uh, against the spread pick. Let's get let's give that to him. It's the least we can do. There you go. 
Um, speaking of the Canes, they got uh, they got Florida State coming up this week, Mike. And uh, I thought this might be a bit of a look-ahead game for them. Turns out it wasn't. Um, but while we're talking about that, you guys should just know that we're going to be uh, bringing our friend Cam Underwood on the program to talk uh, talk Canes and Knowles here this week. So check out the preview episode coming here in a few days. Um, that should be a lot of fun. So we'll, we'll, it'll be good to have Cam back on the program here. We know Cam's really excited about it, as he always is. So it'll be it'll be good. It's rivalry week too, so he'll be extra fired up. Should be really really solid. Absolutely, tune in for that one. Number sixteen, Miami forty-seven, UNC ten. We'll move on. Number thirteen, UCF forty-five, Pittsburgh fourteen. This was the blowout that we all knew it would be. Mike, you talk about Larry Fedora being in trouble. Is Pat Narduzzi in trouble? I, I, and we talked to Jim Hammett before the season. It didn't seem like Pitt fans were all all that riled up about it, but this is just looking more and more like a bad football team, Mike. Their defense isn't good. Their offense isn't good. They're not good. <laughs> uh, they're not good. We don't have to spend a whole lot of time on the actual game here. Uh, Mackenzie Milton, 328, four touchdowns for UCF. UCF, pretty good, Joey. Not a bad football team. Pittsburgh, really bad. Still awful. Complete garbage. Kenny Pickett uh, was fine. Uh, 16 to 26, 163 touchdown to pick. Okay. I mean, he's that's kind of what he is. Uh, 33 carries for 109 yards for Pitt as an offense. Only 3.3 yards per carry. Not great. Uh, yep. Pitt's garbage. UCF minus 13 and a half. Lock of the year. Uh, especially at home. <laughs> like Pittsburgh's. Pittsburgh can't score 13 and a half points, let alone cover it. Um, this was, they were scratching and clawing to get to 14. It was, that was rough to watch. Meanwhile, um, Mackenzie Milton goes for six touchdowns by himself. Yeah, I didn't even mention the two he had in the running game. Uh, yeah, UCF real, real solid. Nice afternoon for basically their entire team. Uh, flipping it back over to should Pat Narduzzi be in trouble? Um I mean, yeah, he should, but you and I, like you just mentioned, we've asked Jim Hammett not only this past year um, in the season preview, but uh, before last season, we asked him, what's the deal with Narduzzi? The defenses aren't that good, and the offense leaves a lot to be desired without Matt Canada, so what is happening here? And Jim's told us, well, I mean, fan base isn't that ticked yet, and the key word was yet. How about now? Uh, Because... Your offense has officially hit the floor. You're two and three on the year, and the defense is still atrocious. So now you have a situation where Narduzzi's really just recruited okay. His defense hasn't been good his entire time on campus, and the offense is arguably the worst it's been since he's been there. So now you're really scratching and clawing to make a bowl game, and you certainly look like one of the worst teams in the Coastal Division, but... I don't know, that's Joey. A low, that's a low bar to clear right now. <laughs> it's a low bar to clear. You thought that North Carolina would receive that award, but Pitt found a way to lose to North Carolina last mm-hmm. weekend. So mm-hmm. here, didn't think we could get to this point, but here we are. By the way, word of the wise, don't schedule UCF and you're out of conference. Don't do, They will beat you. Seems they like a bad idea. You. It is a no-win proposal right now. Don't do that. Uh, by the way, Mike, Pitt has seven games left. They need to win four of them to get bowl eligible. Tell me where the four wins are. Home against Syracuse, at Notre Dame, home against Duke, at Virginia, home against Virginia Tech, at Wake Forest, at Miami. Not happening. You got four wins in there? Not happening. Mm Mm-mm. 
maybe maybe two. I think they can get two, maybe, but I don't feel great about that either, and I'm not putting money on that. I can tell you that much. Uh, not a good situation. Mm-mm. No, it's not. I don't even feel good about them playing Syracuse next week. I think Syracuse might get the best one at Heinz Field. No, and regardless of what happens in the Notre Dame-Virginia Tech game, when Pitt goes to South Bend in two weeks, they are going to get murdered. They're going to get wrecked. That is going to be a massacre in South Bend. It doesn't matter what happens in the Virginia Tech game this upcoming weekend. You've got two scenarios here. Notre Dame's coming off of a big win on the road, and they're coming home to play Pitt. And you're thinking, oh, what down game? Uh, no. <laughs> like, I will be first no. in line at the window to lay those 30 points from Notre yes. Dame. Yep. I yeah. will gladly lay 30 in that game. I don't yeah. care. And they could lose a game to Syracuse this upcoming weekend before they even have to worry about getting blown out in South Bend. Uh, this is... We're, we're at the bottom here for Pittsburgh. They are not a good football team. Not even close. Uh, yeah, so that was a mess. Number 13, 40, number 13, UCF 45, Pittsburgh 14. Mike will move on. Uh, Georgia Tech 63, Bowling Green 17. Georgia Tech covers. That was good. Uh, it's Quan Marshall five of six passing. That was good. They ran the ball well. All of that was good. Um, I, the thing is, Georgia Tech winning this game, I don't know if this is more of a, uh, if this is more of an indication of where Georgia Tech is or where Bowling Green is, because Bowling Green is kind of its own brand of disaster. Um, they were they were not very good, and, and Georgia Tech did not have a lot of problems just moving the ball on offense and maybe had a couple of issues stopping the Bowling Green offense, but ultimately, I mean, it didn't really matter. Georgia Tech runs the ball for damn near 400 yards and eight touchdowns in this game. So, I mean, that was going to do it either way. Yeah, was going to do it either way, and you do what you're supposed to do here in this one. You run for a hell of a lot of yards against one of the worst rushing defenses in the FBS. You get the job done there. Score 63 points. That's a win. Um, You cover the spread by a lot. That's another win. And, I mean, we didn't really learn a whole lot about Georgia Tech. We knew they could run the ball, and we knew that Bowling Green couldn't stop it, and we knew Bowling Green's offense really wasn't all that good, and Georgia Tech, for the most part, for the most part, did a pretty good job stopping it, and even when Bowling Green picked up yards, the game was already just so far out of hand. Yeah, I mean, get that dub move on. Chalk it up. Georgia Tech now going on the road Friday night to Louisville. I'll, I'll be there, by the way. I, this is going to be a game, though, that I, I think Georgia Tech has to win this game um, if this season is going to get right and, and turn into one that they actually want to have. But uh, I don't know. I don't know, Mike. We'll see. Louisville, Louisville, I, I, I know you're cautious with school, all that good stuff. Um, Louisville's so bad that – I think Georgia Tech will be just fine. Um, I mean, and normally I, I would feel fine about it because I, I agree that Georgia Tech is probably the better team, but Tech has had so many problems playing on the road. And yeah. the fact that Louisville can pass the ball to some degree and, and Georgia Tech doesn't do a great job of getting after the passer or defending the pass, it's like, I don't know. I, yeah. I thought I was going to feel a lot better about it, and I, I'm feeling worse than I was before the season, even though I've seen some bad Louisville football in the time since. So, yep. 
it's the external it's the external factors with Georgia Tech being a bad road team um, and everything else first more more so than looking at these two teams on paper and Georgia Tech certainly the better team I think yeah I I would think so but you know again time will tell we'll find let's out find, very soon let's find out together shall we we shall uh, moving on Boston College 45 Temple 35 um, AJ Dillon gets a little bit uh, a little bit injured in this game Mike little bit a uh, little bit banged not up good not great uh had 161 yards and two touchdowns though when he was playing uh i mean, I mean that's good that's good uh was it ben gilns gilney's yeah, whatever 120 yards touchdowns Gleaners. yeah yeah i had something <laughs> uh he had a touchdown run at 120 yards on the ground so the train keeps on chugging. Anthony Brown, much, much, much better effort. I mean, it's. I mean, was it? He uh, completed almost fifty percent of his passes. He he didn't he, but he didn't throw four picks. And he didn't throw any picks, which is yes, definitely good. Yes, definitely good. I'm not looking at this like he set the world on fire, but God, he did not throw four interceptions, and that makes such a huge difference with this football team. Um, so that didn't happen. Uh, Temple kept it fun because Ryquell Armstead had 171 yards rushing and four touchdowns. So that's how you keep the game competitive. Isaiah Wright, seven catches, 114 in this game as well. Anthony Russo, their quarterback. Uh, I mean, he, again, 255, two picks, 20 of 45 passing. He was fine. Uh, Temple kept it competitive. Boston College more than happy to comply with that. And hey, they were able to keep him at arm's length and, and score that touchdown there in the fourth quarter to really, uh, we'll say, put it away. But 10-point victory, you get the job done. Tough Temple team here. They they were scrappy. Man, I just keep thinking, with with A.J. Dillon getting hurt here, we don't know his status moving forward. You think about Trevor Lawrence getting hurt for Clemson. like, And already, again, a couple of these teams being significantly worse than we thought. Yep. Man, this is just turning into a bit of a disaster of a year for the conference. If, if I mean, maybe this is the low point; it only gets better from here. But I'm not, I'm not getting the warm fuzzies here, Mike, about how the conference is doing this year. It's been a bit of a rough ride so far, and it doesn't seem like it's getting better. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's a rocky ride. Let's just let's leave it there. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's it's an it's an adventure. Somebody please come and fix the D train. Yeah. We need to keep riding the D train. Yeah. Gonna, gonna need that. Gonna need that. D for for Dylan. D also for dudes here, Mike, actually. Yes. Yes. The dudes got it done. And really at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Especially, especially coming off that tough Purdue loss last week. Nice to see him bounce back here. Yeah. Good bounce back. Maybe a little bit closer than we wanted it to be, but Hey, at the end of the day, it wants to win. Uh, last one, Mike. Wake Forest 56, Rice 24. Uh, Deacons just got the job done here. They came out firing. They, they were up 42-3 to three at halftime. Uh, Sam Hartman, 15-17 for 241, four touchdowns and no picks. Is that good? Uh, Yeah. I think that's good. I think, it's I think all I'll right, take Jay. that. Yeah. I think it's all right. Hey, um, in, in related news, Rice, really bad. Real bad. Real bad. As predicted and as expected, uh, garbage. Yeah. Yeah, the Owls not a uh, not a particularly functional football team right now. Um, that's, that's one way to put it. 
Yeah, they they were never really going to give Wake a, a bit of a even a much of a game here. Uh, the Deacons cover a huge spread in this game. That's I think that's very telling. Good to see them bounce back as well after a, a big blowout loss at home to Notre Dame last week. And uh, once again, they got the Tigers coming to town next week. So uh, we'll see how uh, how the healing process goes for Trevor Lawrence because Wake could get a little bit frisky in that game for what that's worth. Uh, they could definitely get frisky, especially at home. And you know what? Um, Clemson should go ahead and cover Greg Dortch because that's something Rice failed to do. And I'll tell you what, if Greg Dortch has 11 catches for 163 yards and four touchdowns next Saturday, uh, Clemson is in big, 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 big trouble. Gosh, Greg Dortch was doing some just absurd things to that Rice defense in this game. <laughs> yes, man, he gets no love. He's such a great talent, man. It's it's a shame. He is so, I mean, he is outstanding to watch. He's just. He is a joy to yeah. watch. He is fantastic. Yeah. Man, go get you some Greg Dortch. All right. Yep. Mike, that's all the games. We've got a couple of awards to hang out, uh, to hand out here. Uh, Dumpster Fire of the Week. You got this one? Yeah. Um, it, it's hard to not have your Dumpster Fire of the Week be anybody other than the North Carolina Tar Heels and the ghost of Chad Surratt. Um, four of 10, 10 yards, three interceptions. Thanks for playing. Um, that in accordance with Larry Fedora's job security, um, grease fire of the week. <laughs> really, really bad. It's And it's not getting better, Joey. That's, that's the thing. It's not getting better. It's only getting worse. There are a lot of tough games left on the schedule. And man, oh man, just don't put him in anymore. Just North Carolina's a mess. Uh, um, so I want to I want to add my own candidate in here if I can. Sure. Uh, and th- and this is just we need to take a moment just to call this out while we while we have the opportunity to the Clemson quarterback situation. Yeah, gotten real messy real quick. Um, again, yep. two weeks ago you had a quarterback that took your team to the playoff. You had a freshman phenom. Now you got neither of them. Uh, this has gotten real messy real quick. We will see if uh, Trevor Lawrence is able to come back. But again, that is a uh, whew, that, that's a bit messy for my taste. Yeah, um, completely agree. Uh, not a good situation. And hey, I mean, when Holly Rowe was asking at halftime to Dabo Swinney whether or not he'd take Kelly Bryant back, worst case scenario, and he goes, "Oh God, yeah, I love that kid." Um, that's when we know it's. It's not good. I mean, Chase Bryce is a fine player, uh, obviously very highly tied recruit, just doesn't have the experience and made some big time throws in the game on Saturday. Worst comes to worse. I guess he's the guy, but um, hey, it's a concussion for Trevor Lawrence and see how he reacts here this week and if he's able to play coming up here on Saturday. Yeah, that's going to be a huge deal for for that program this season. Uh, go ACC moment of the week, Mike. You know what award you win? When you got two minutes left and you're trying to protect a lead and you got a first down in field goal range and you start throwing the ball uh, and it gets intercepted and it causes you to lose the game. You win the go ACC moment of the week, Joey. That's precisely what you win. Louisville, yep. Louisville and Bobby Petrino's play calling wins the go ACC moment of the week for throwing the ball with a lead inside of two minutes deep in opponents ter- I, I i don't know what the what the thought was there that is bizarre that is ridiculous play calling from louisville and i hope you're mad i hope you're mad louisville fans because that is man that is just absurd so bad. 
Very, very bad. Um, go ACC to that. And finally, Mike, we got the Brian Van Gorder Memorial You Tried Award. And uh, this one goes to uh, Daniel Jones and his effort against your Hokies. It does. Uh, Daniel Jones, uh, you tried to come back early from a broken collarbone you suffered just about three weeks ago. And yeah, you didn't quite look yourself. Uh, yeah, shout out to Duke Medical Team. You guys are wizards. Uh, but. Ah, you tried to be a competent quarterback, and I won't say you failed, but you certainly didn't look yourself. Uh, co-recipient is Larry Fedora's search for a starting quarterback. Uh, you tried on Thursday night to mm -hmm. see if Chad Surratt was the guy, and you continue to do that. Uh, yeah, that failed. So let's not do that anymore, like we just mentioned. So, yeah, bad. And maybe, you know, in, in the namesake, we could just give the You Tried Award to just Bobby Petrino. Oh, yeah. Always. Um, that named after his defensive coordinator, of course, because right. I just am not going to be able to forget that. Yeah. Um, by the way, Mike, I, I, I just I'm still really messed up. Do, do you think that like Daniel Jones made a deal with the devil over trying to get this collarbone healed and now coming back to play and now like in making this deal with the devil, he's no longer a good quarterback. Is that, is that on the table here? Only a deal with the blue devil, Joey. Hey, hey. Got him. Um, well done. Yes. Thank you. Uh, I don't know, man. He was drinking that Duke athletic training magic potion to get himself back on the field um, in three weeks from a fractured collarbone. Um, hey, I mean, Duke's a better football team with Daniel Jones, but I think he's got to be 100% Daniel Jones. Uh, I think with the way things were going in this game, honestly, Joey, I didn't bring this up in, in the uh, in the recap portion of this, so let me bring this up here real quick. With the way that the Duke offense was operating, particularly like in the second half, the early part of the second half, where they still certainly had a chance to win, and they were kind of stalling out. I was wondering when David Cutcliffe was going to go to Quentin Harris, just because Quentin Harris played pretty well over the last couple of weeks. Uh, gave him a spark in the running game, which, you know, Duke obviously struggled to run the ball in this football game. I was wondering when we were going to see Quentin Harris. And it happened a couple times here and there in a pinch, but it didn't happen as as often as I thought it would. And really interesting coaching there from uh, Cutcliffe. I think he knew he had to throw the football to win, felt more confident in Daniel Jones to get that done, but didn't end up working out that way. Uh, that's something, if I'm David Cutcliffe, I go back and wonder, hey, if I give Quentin Harris a little bit more of a look into this game, does it help? Does it impact anything of course we'll never know but that that's one thing that stood out to me as well yeah absolutely i i mean cool that he's back but like i don't i don't know if, if he's right yet we'll have to see i don't know mike that's all i got anything else before we uh get on out of here pretty good recap given that you were in cancun and the acc was a train wreck again yeah so I, I was thinking about it, and I think if you just look at the results of who beat who, I think it pretty much all went according to plan. But the way that we got to those wins, in a lot of ways, did not go according to plan. I think we were pretty much spot on with every single result in terms of win-loss. Um, but again, some spreads and some some uh, methodologies were just a little bit a little bit off this week. Yep. So, yeah, a relatively tame week five, as it, as it were. But, Mike, on to week six. On to weeks uh, already, on to week six. I know, it's going way too fast. Uh, we're, we're getting into October now, which 
I, hey, I'm ready for the weather and all that, but it, it does feel like it's going too fast. So yeah. when you get to about the halfway point in the regular season, that's when you know. And uh, we just got done with the off season, so let's relax here a little bit and try to take a little bit of this in here as we uh, we get into the actual fall months here and some real conference play action coming up. Yeah, for sure. Well, as we said, uh, we'll be back a little bit later this week previewing week six. We're going to have Cam Underwood on with us to talk Florida State Miami. Uh, that's coming up this next weekend. Um, in the meantime, you guys can find us on Twitter. I am at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel CFB, and together we're at BC Podcast ACC. Y'all can send us an email with your questions, comments, concerns to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Yep. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, the Overcast app, wherever fine podcasts are sold for free, possibly on Spotify one day, possibly on Stitcher one day. I don't know. Somebody asked me about that. We'll see if that's a thing or not. It might not be. Um, but Mike, tell them where they can find us on the social medias. Yeah, Facebook. Facebook.com. Blah. What's doing so well? No, you Facebook.com slash. Yeah, Facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of our podcasts there, Jack. Please do. Please do. You can also find us on YouTube if you so choose. You can come check out my sweet sunburn I got in, in Cancun. It was a, uh, let's just say it was a weekend with a lot of booze and not a lot of sunscreen. And that's what results in uh, this, you know, sunglass tan you got going over here. So go check that out if you want to. Mike, you want to come back and uh, preview week six? Yeah, let's do it, man. We got some big games this Saturday. Yes, we do. It, it is a is a light slate in terms of volume, it is a heavy slate in terms of quality. So uh, definitely come back and, and check that out with us later this week. But until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. And until next time, go ACC. Go ACC.